Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, we've got three articles that tend to deal with the law and legal rulings. And I just want your opinion on which side of these legal rulings are you supporting? The first question comes from the Wall Street Journal, and it's about leaf blowing and if it's too loud. And here's the best paragraph I read. The roar, roar, roar is inescapable. Longtime resident Monica Prihoda said at a recent town meeting, imitating a motor with her voice. Even the storm windows do not protect me. Please, she implored local officials, I beg you. More than 100 cities nationwide, including some near Greenwich, restrict loud leaf blowers. But the tiny New York City suburb that is home to billionaires and hedge funds has long refused to turn over a new leaf. Town leaders decades ago exempted gas-powered blowers from Greenwich's noise ordinance. Now a coalition of residents called Quiet Yards Greenwich is being anything but quiet, raking through reams of documents and citing a case from the 17th century about a neighbor's pigsty. They are pushing for a seasonal limit on gas-powered leaf blowers and urging electric ones instead. And Don, the article just goes on to talk about people that are really upset about the noise. They want to change the laws. What did you think about this article? This is not the first article I've read on leaf blowers. Uh, maybe surprisingly, the New Yorker did a big piece on this a while back. Leaf blowers are blindingly loud, especially the gas-powered backpack ones. I I had one for a while, and without ear protection, I don't think I could hear what you said now. They're really, really loud, ubiquitous around suburbs like the one that I live in, and very, very irritating. They don't bother me so much as my family. That said, the electric ones work okay, but ultimately... It's suburban homeowners that are wealthy complaining about the devices used by low-income people doing a service to provide for the wealthy people. So it seems like a little bit of a odd leverage. It's not like these uh, these are your neighbors out there at the billionaires uh, blowing leaves. It's the company they hired. And if they want to pay more to the company they hired to get better leaf floors, okay. But it seems nitpicky to have somebody do your lawn and then tell them the way in which to do it. I would agree. You and I have acknowledged many times that we live in flyover country in terms of nationwide status. I myself have heard leaf blowers and also lawnmowers and snow blowers. They're loud, but they are not preventing me from keeping my sanity or, or living my life, I guess, at my house. Now, does that also just show that I am not of a status wealth-wise where I need uh, the sanctity of, of quiet. And I guess I just wondered if it just shows that like you and I are just still living in a world where we just can't comprehend the problems that the wealthy are having. Yeah, this is right up there with the problems like my yoga mat won't fit in the uh, first class overhead compartments. It seems like a problem that is not that big of a problem, but yet for some people is a major, major issue. If you're sitting in your hot tub and your neighbor starts mowing their lawn and it's dusty and blowing over at you, you might be irritated then, right? Very possible. I mean, a part of me, though, has always thought about, like, how much of it is this just like a courtesy issue? Like, I don't mow my lawn on, like, a Sunday until, like, 10 a.m. Like, that's kind of my own personal, I think you need to be up by 10 a.m. And if you're not and you're woken by my lawnmower, I don't feel bad. But I'm not going to go out there at 7 a.m. and start mowing because that just seems inconsiderate. 
And I would treat leaf blowing at the same sort of rule, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think these people are focused on leaf blowing because the wine carries over such a broad area, just the high frequency thing of it. It's uh, somehow more or more odious than that of the lawnmower. But yeah, people seem to be really, really bothered by it. doesn't bother me so much. I'm kind of happy people are keeping up on their lawns and their neighborhood. And I actually love the sound of snow blowing. I think that's great. We got some snow. There's snow blowers. Maybe it means because I'm probably not going to work that day. That, no, that was the question I had was, I feel like there's kind of an unwritten rule and that most of the people in my neighborhood are fairly considerate about when they start leaf blowing, lawn mowing. But I did realize that like snow blowing seems to be the one exception that you're allowed to do that at 11 p.m. or at 5 a.m., mostly because probably people got to get to work and they got to keep moving. Would you agree that snow blowing kind of gets to be the exception? Yeah, and also your windows are closed. Our windows are open almost all day in the summer, every day. So the uh, leaf blowing is more is more irritating. But the snow blowing, I mean, you're, it's winter. Your windows are closed. How much do you hear it if your neighbor snow blows at six in the morning? I, I would agree. I mean, this one lady here seems to be complaining that even through her thick windows, she, you know, can't can't avoid it. And I guess I would just say like. I don't know, like, why not block to block then go and hire the company that is going to use electric and be quieter, if that makes sense. This seems like a private sector issue, like everybody should go contract with this. Or why isn't there a contractor that's doing yards that is going to say, look, we're only using electric. I mean, I have to assume there is good money taking care of these yards of billionaires and millionaires. Oh, yeah. I did think about the business idea of what if you did uh, zero carbon lawn care and you could charge a huge premium and environmentalists would pay up for you to mow their lawns. I thought about this as a business idea. I was like, oh, I guess you could do it. I don't want to spend my days mowing lawns and uh, managing that and all that. But still, it's a possibility and you could pay a premium. But that's the thing is like, ultimately pay a premium. If you want to make this the request, then put a price floor on lawn services in this city in Connecticut and make it a 40% upgrade and adjust it to inflation. And then lawn makers, lawn keepers would be like, oh yeah, sure. And you want to pay us 40% more and keep up with inflation. Great. We'll go electric. So I think you're framing, they're framing the problem the wrong way. Now, really, should you be a lawn care company that's like going back to like feudalism because back in those days the lawns were cut by hand yes and really lawns in general are traced back to the idea of people with superior wealth that could actually afford people to go out and maintain the lawn and cut it low that was the ultimate sign and even we today are being impacted by that as a lot of people drive by each other's lawns and they judge each other right away. Like that lawn looks terrible or man, those people aren't keeping up with it. Or wow, that guy's really paying well for his service or he really spends a lot of time on his lawn. And I guess my thing was, is that like, I got to assume in Greenwich, like lawn care is probably like the first thing everybody's thinking about in terms of making sure that that is a pristine outside <laughs> to their castles, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I forgot about that link. I had known it. I remember reading about that at Versailles or something like that. So yeah, uh, I am the royalty that I have in my house is allowing me to maintain this lawn in a half-hearted measure that makes it look not entirely dilapidated. But uh, my neighbor's lawn is far superior, Zach. He gets he gets a little irritated with me. I, I mean, I've always had the theory of just good enough. Don't be the worst, but by by no means am I. Uh, like I'm not always you know, doing my edging, for instance, and I'm not always uh, getting the grass close up against the house. And I'm okay with that. But I, I would assume in Greenwich, like that's a big no, no, I might be breaking homeowners associations and stuff like that. Well, I'm sure careers are made lost there by how well you can maintain that lawn. Shout out to my friend, Scott, he owns one of those jetpack motor um, blowers, and they are loud, like you've got to put the ear protection on or you could really hurt yourself kind of thing like that. And he has always been kind to let me borrow his uh, thing. I'm always amazed at how much power those things have in it. At the same time, like, I don't know, when I leaf blow, maybe I'm doing it for 20 minutes and I'm done. And therefore, if my neighbors were annoyed, like there's an end to it. Like, are we really this picky that that your life is is consumed by it, I guess? Yes, people are that picky. <laughs> And by the way, I have video somewhere of a four-year-old child of mine with the backpack blower on. It's it's now broken, but and gone. But he had the backpack blower on, and he was firing that up with the ear protection, and he could almost spin him because he couldn't just keep his body straight because <laughs> it was generating so much force. It was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. Our my neighborhood, as you know, is big lots and mature trees, and in the fall, you can hear a whine for all daylight hours in uh, most of October, November as somebody in the neighborhood is blowing their leaves. But again, doesn't bother me. Does it bother somebody else? I'm sure. There's other the things way- that bother me that don't bother other people and vice versa. So, you know, it is what it is. Some people just need to maybe adjust and deal with the fact that there might be blowing. So when you're sitting on that wonderful Three Seasons porch that you have and, and you know, working through your War and Peace and your copy of Finnegan's Wake, you're able to stay focused and not lose concentration due to the high wine of the uh, jetpacks. Doesn't bother me in the least. Okay. And you know what? If, and that's the other thing. Why don't these people just get noise canceling AirPods or uh, something like that? They're, the technology is better than ever before. You can get something that just fits in your ear and and blare, blast out all other songs and music and you can't hear anything else. It's not hard to avoid this anymore, but these people seem to be hell-bent on this issue. I think it was Orinda, California was the major issue in the New Yorker article. But yeah, they, they're in the desert now in California where you don't get much rain, you don't get much weeds, they just blow dust around. And there's just blowing a tiny bit of dust all day long to get a, you know, a half a... <laughs> half a shovel full of dirt and it just it's part of the business of the lawn care people and i understand that there's some people that are life their uh family's income depend on that so like i say pay a premium subsidize it and then they uh to use electric right i mean somebody in the article was even complaining about how they tried to put on headphones in fact they were so angry they were listening to radiohead apparently as they're way to to get through the pain and stuff like that and i thought i really like radiohead so do i <laughs> they seem like had to listen to radiohead <laughs> they had to yes well i don't know i mean this year i bought an electric lawnmower and i would definitely say it is quieter i can listen to a podcast while i mow the lawn and it is a nice change but ultimately i am going to side on the complainers 
for this particular issue of the law. And that I feel like this is a local issue. If the people of Greenwich want some sort of a, uh, you know, a noise ordinance, then I do think they should be allowed to do that. And I think they should be allowed to contract that out. I am not going to support the leaf blowers on this one. Where are you at? Uh, I, I am supporting the leaf blowers. It doesn't bother me. My wife would feel otherwise. By the way, can you mow your entire lawn with the, with the battery-operated lawnmower? Yes, I can. Because yes, we I have can. a neighbor that bought one. It can only do about half his lawn. So half of it's mowed one day, the other half's mowed the next day. Maybe he didn't buy the right one then, because I bought a lawnmower at our beloved Costco, and it came with two 80-volt batteries, and... You can literally run the lawnmower on one while you're charging the other, or if you just put them both in at the same time, like you get like a good 90 minutes or more of of mowing. Like I, you know, I know that you live in an area that has more estates, whereas I just have more property. Uh, Maybe his is just a lot larger place, but I would say it's a pretty good lawnmower. I'd be intrigued. It takes me an hour with the double lo- double wide lawn tractor, so I'm not sure it's going to work for me yet. But I have I have my eye out. I have my eye out. Maybe well, at some point next that's time. That's the I'm... difference. You yeah. have a tractor. I have a push mower. Best part of the tractor is you don't have to pick up the dog poop. <laughs> Roll again, right when, over it. Mulching blades. Ha- Mulching blades take care of it. When you have an estate, it, it, then you you need to have a tractor. I just I just have property. <laughs> I do want to point out two more things, though, because while I support the people of Greenwich being able to complain about the ordinance, I would like to complain about the fact that usually during the fall and the spring, our school district contracts with somebody to mow the lawns of our school property. And they have these riding lawn mowers that are super loud, drive by my window, and literally the kids can't hear me talking. Literally, it is disruptive in a quiet classroom. And I've always thought, why can't we stipulate in the contract, you must mow either after school hours or on the weekends. And yet they pick just these horrific times where like all of a sudden, like you can't be heard for the times that they are mowing. Oh, yeah. Those things are powerful and they fly by. They do some speed doing there. But uh, I'm on the second floor, so it doesn't bother me. But I do see kids staring out the window at the lawnmowers, as I would have, as I did when I was in high school. <laughs> it's a welcome retreat to hear all yeah, the like, oh, All right. I got to check this out. No, I don't know. I just I thought that was interesting. I think that's why maybe I am sympathetic to uh, the rich people of Greenwich and their noise issues. Absolutely. You seem to be really empathetic. I don't really... I don't need to, I'm I'm good. One other final part to this story that I do think is worth pointing out is they, they said that this issue has been brought to the Greenwich legislative body. And this stunned me, Don. It's a 230 member legislative body for a town. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty big one. They, they, they're running some real democracy there and they probably have a fair number of lawyers and uh, people with influence and political experience that are living there. Don, our founding fathers put together a Congress that can't get any bigger than 435 members in the House. The Senate has 100 members, 230 people for a local body, like normally like city halls, like seven people. What is going on? That's huge. And uh, I don't think they're framing a constitution. How many people were at the convention? Not that many. It wasn't (laughs) not 230. We have less seventh graders in my middle school that make up a legislative body for a town. I just, that stunned me. And I'm like, how are we not getting a report about why there's 230 legislative members in Greenwich, Connecticut? 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a lot a uh, lot of paper being pushed there. I'm sure. I would like some investigative jur uh, journalism on that. I hope that our good friend Kevin Kopeck is teaching about local government uh, in his uh, in his class there. Oh, I'm certain he is. All right. Next issue. NPR had an interesting story about something that our Supreme Court is going to be ruling on, and that is whether or not public officials can turn off the comments on their social media pages. And here's the best paragraph I read. The issue at the Supreme Court on Tuesday is how courts should evaluate these questions when they occur on a public official's social media page. Most appeals courts have ruled that when public officials create an online place for public comments, the First Amendment's freedom of speech prevents those officials from barring people whose comments they don't like. That was the ruling in the other social media case that the court hears Tuesday. It involves two school board members in Poway, California, who maintained that their social media pages were an extension of their campaign pages and thus were personal. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals didn't buy that argument, holding that when public officials have social media pages that are open to public comments, they can't block even annoying and repetitive comments. But in the Port Huron case, the Sixth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Freed's Facebook page was personal, that he did not use his government authority to maintain it, and that therefore he was not using his office to block LinkedIn. In short, he was not using the state's authorities to suppress LinkedIn's speech. And Don, this basically stems from Port Huron, Michigan. A you know local official was posting pictures of his family, but also posting information about what the government was up to. Somebody was kind of trolling him. He turned off his comments. This guy is sued. What do you think? Should public officials be able to block people on social media? I think so, because we don't have enough good social, good public officials. The public official jobs don't pay that well, and we need to have good people there. Well, there's not a lot of good people that are going to want to do this job if they are dealing with these frustrating situations. I mean, it makes me think I don't want to be a public official. 100%, but I would totally disagree with you. I really think that if you're a public official and you're going to have a social media page where even though you're just posting pictures about your cat or your dog in their Halloween costume, the moment you also say, hey, charity basketball game, 7 p.m., and now you're putting out government information, that to me says you cannot turn off the comments. I, I would agree. I think you've got to either be online and deal with everything, or you've got to decide, I guess I just don't get to you know, share my dog's Halloween costume with everybody. So you have to drop off social media altogether. So is this true if you're a principal, if you're a teacher, if you're a school board member? Like these, where does the line end here? You just don't get to have a private life if you, and you have to like, all right, check out my new podcast. Oh, oh somebody's complaining about the test I had, um, I have coming up on Monday in my Twitter feed. Like that doesn't, ah, it just seems like crossing over. No, I, I would agree. And I would argue that like, this is why this question is such an interesting one is we are living in a world where the lines between one's job and social life are very blurred at this point, right? People are kind of always working nowadays and social media is a great way to efficiently dispense information. At the same time, I, I would argue that like, if you're out there using your post to give people public information, 
but it's also mixed with your personal life, then I think you have to allow people to comment on that. Now, maybe you've got to make two different social media pages. And I guess that's my my first question is, why are these officials not making maybe two different sites, one for family and one for, for policy? Or just don't discuss policy. Like uh, we're told to not post on social media. You and I don't really post on social media much, but except for about this podcast. But we're told not to po- post about our frustrations with our jobs because it's bad PR for the district. I mean, can you talk about your job? Can you talk about anything other than, you know, go dragons? I, I don't know. This is a weird world where people have strong feelings. Part of it is I just, I know that some people really value their social media interactions and that's very, very important to them. I don't personally, but I feel like it's going to be a big loss of value to somebody who really values their interactions with people on social media if they can't do so or if whenever they do so, they have to interact with the people that dislike their policies or want to be heard. And this, by the way, the guy that's suing is like a weird dude that's been imprisoned for stalking. Like, ugh, do you really want him on your feed? No, and that was the public official's kind of retort is, is I've got somebody with a mental illness. I would agree, like trolling and, and people that just want to post negative, especially inaccurate facts, like that's not going to help the public discussion to anything. But I'd also say, aren't we at a point where everybody discounts comments to just they're all garbage and who actually reads them? And if you do, are you actually using them to try to reform an opinion on anything? I don't know. It seems like most places now just turn off comments because everybody realizes how toxic they are. No, of course they mute them because it makes sense because they are toxic. I Here's the thing. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Trevor Noah and Bill Gates. And Trevor Noah was talking about how destructive and negative social media is for in most situations. And that people want to hear more that this thing is trash rather than I enjoy this thing and this thing is good. And Bill Gates was talking about when they started computing, making software for Microsoft, the idea was to empower people. Everybody can publish. Everybody can share and read about anything in the world. And that'll be a benefit to all people because it enables communication and empowers people. But social media is kind of the toxic side of this. It's like the bizarro side where it is enabling people to be powerful, but they're powerful in a negative sense. And so it's just such a weird, weird world that's all negative and yet somehow very entertaining to people because they want to watch it. I don't know. I just have no interest in this world. Either do I. And that's why, you know, neither you or I really have social media pages. Again, I think we have our Twitter feed, which, you know, is not exactly uh, blowing up the Internet. I think we literally just post our next uh, podcast episode. But we do have a podcast. You know, you and I have have uh, suggested to students, hey, you might want to listen to this episode. Uh, you might find it interesting. And therefore, like, where does that line blur with our professions, right? Uh, we do talk about educational issues and stuff like that. And therefore, like, I don't know, it, does, does this thing fall in the world of comments? Although maybe you and I would be uh, delighted if we got a comment about our podcast. Yeah, we occasionally do get comments, but I don't think we want negative comments if we attract the attention. If we got reposted on some, I don't know, board of extremely liberal, extremely conservative people and they could go after us, it makes me a little nervous. They could be saying, these two teachers think they have the answer to the world's problems. Send them a message or an email or go camp out outside their school or home. Like, that's possible. Like, there's no nothing to stop that from happening if somebody just takes issue with something we say, probably something I say. But anyway, it's, it is it is a little bit scary. 
No, you're right. Uh, definitely, I've thought often about like, oh, you know, would this comment be misconstrued? But I guess I would also hope that anybody who listens would say, usually they come to no conclusions that are definitive. And usually uh, it's a podcast that tries to look at all angles from something and, and doesn't seem to have uh, much of an opinion on anything, except self-checkout kiosks. Yeah, we have a lot of strong feelings there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought this was interesting, but I do think this would be a sort of precedent-setting case. They said that the original case that kind of brought all this up was with Donald Trump, where he had obviously a very uh, widely followed Twitter feed, and they were blocking uh, negative comments and things that were coming back at them. However, courts were ruling that because Trump had other people managing his social media accounts, they had to allow comments. And therefore, you kind of wonder if that becomes like sort of the the test case for it, or at least the rules that you would follow of, are these just your account that only you have access to, and therefore you are allowed to turn on comments? However, if this is more of a branding sort of account where you are going to be speaking more from the office or many people manage it, then you do have to allow accounts. I feel like somewhere technocrats are going to solve this and maybe come up with a decent solution, wouldn't you say? Yeah, some sort of spam filter. I, I don't know. This is all very interesting. I mean, the first the first amendment was written quite some time ago. It's pretty impressive that it can be applied to today's very different landscape. But at the same time, they don't let anybody in to when the president speaks just to let the just so the president has to hear them. You know what I'm saying? Like just because it's social media, does everybody get equal access, but in person they don't? Like if you're a crazy person, you don't get to just show up at the president's, you know, um opening of the zoo or whatever and scream at him and yell. Like you you can't not everybody has access, but apparently they need to be able to have the right to posts, even though that post isn't likely to be ignored. I'm sure there's First Amendment absolutists that have good, solid feelings on this. I'm just not sure the value, where the value is here. Well, you're right. Not everybody gets to go in front of the uh, the president and, and give them their opinion, but people can go stand up in the town square on a soapbox and start giving their opinion. And isn't the comment section of somebody's social media feed just that? Like, you're putting it out there, and it's probably going to be ignored because, again, I think most people are kind of numb to comments and stuff like that. Well, yes, and especially at that level, I'm sure they're like, okay, we're just going to turn off notifications and just I'm just using this as an outgoing thing, probably. Again, I, I just feel like if you're using that platform at all to help service your job or service the public good, then I think you have to allow the comments. But you disagree? Yeah, it just seems at some level with local officials that are small market people, it doesn't matter. Although at some level, probably everybody's reading them because they have to read them to see if there's any crazy threats. So somebody's reading them. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, and I do like your original point about, is this going to be one more reason why good people choose not to serve in public office? And obviously, like there's the presidency and national office, but as we've saw it, like, state office or local office or school board member or director of the, the local public library. Uh, there's a lot of public positions out there that have lots of rules about ethics and how you're supposed to behave. And you're right. Is this just one more thing where you're just not getting good people to want to serve because it's just too much hassle? Yeah. And we need good people. We do. We do. 
I, I think it's interesting. And I do think you also brought up a good point about where does that then fit into something like a school administrator or a school teacher in that they do have a quasi public role and therefore how does that all fit with these things? I think they're interesting questions. I'd be curious. Do you think there'll be a test case on a teacher at some point for something like this, or maybe there already has. Probably. I don't know. I, I, I would hate to have people posting all over my feed that I don't maintain. <laughs> you and I won't have this issue, but there's lots of young kids that have grown up in this social media era that might have to sort of deal with it, I guess, if that makes sense. I did receive an email from a student that I had eight years ago to tell me that I was still the only B that student had ever received, and they held me accountable for that. Okay. Okay. Well, when, uh, you know, when you're posting about the, uh, the, the, the local neighborhood barbecue that you're hosting, <laughs> you'll have that in your feed, I guess, then. Be a good discussion topic there. Yeah. All right. Last issue. Mayor courts. In Louisiana and Ohio, Don, apparently there are mayors with a ton of power. ProPublica had this fascinating article, and here's the best paragraph I read. In many ways, Fenton is like other small towns in Louisiana, but it is remarkable in one way. This village of 226 people collected more money in a single year through fines and forfeitures primarily traffic tickets, than almost any other municipality in Louisiana, according to audits. In the year ending in June 2022, Fenton brought in $1.3 million that way. The fines were collected through what's known as Mayor's Court, a little-known type of small court found only in Louisiana and Ohio. In Fenton, its primary function is processing the thousands of traffic tickets written annually by a few police officers. Here, the mayor is also the judge, appointing the prosecutor and, if drivers ask for a trial, deciding their guilt or innocence. The mayor runs the village with revenue primarily made up of those fines. The bulk of the salaries of the people in the courtroom, everyone from the mayor to the clerk, comes from fines and fees collected by the court. And Don, this article just goes on to talk about mayor courts, this fascinating kind of justice system of one person making all the decisions. What did you think about this article? I grew up in a household of in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where uh, my parents lived in Ohio for a time. And they drove through this town in Ohio where they got the uh, mayor makes all the revenue for the whole town on speeding tickets at this one little spot. And they just line up. And I remember hearing about it all the time because when we were kids and we went on a road trip, we didn't have phones or uh, video game systems. You just listened to your parents and whatever radio station your parents wanted to. And you just had to listen. And uh, well, anyway, it was a different world. Long story short, I there was always concern about this spot and getting a traffic ticket in this spot. And the article rang true for me as I read about this tiny town, Louisiana, where the speed limit drops from 50 to 40, and they just ticket people like crazy. They send more, they get more tickets in Shreveport, which is a town of hundred and some thousand people that is uh, in this town only has 200. I, I respect the uh, using the angle to get a bunch of revenue for the town. It seems awful and really biased against outsiders and probably people of different races and whatnot. But it, it, I do respect the idea that this is our advantage. We're going to leverage it to the hilt. This is how we're going to pay our bills. 
Let me go back to you grew up in Ohio with this issue. Did your parents ever get ticketed? That's a good question. There was always in a they always knew that there were cops sitting in this one spot where the speed limit dropped as you approach this tiny town. And so I don't remember getting a ticket, but they knew that the cops were always sitting at this specific location. It, it, it seems like like the local knowledge would say, careful right here, everybody's going to slow down, yes. and therefore, yes. let's just tax outsiders, basically. Oh, yeah, for sure. I kind of like, I've always, I always drive speed limit when I go to Ohio, because I've got a Michigan license plate, and I've always wondered if they're just looking to ding people from Michigan because they can. Now more than ever, Zach, now more than ever. <laughs> At the same time, I found it fascinating that we still have fiefdoms in America. There's some small town mayor. I mean, this is almost like an episode out of the Dukes of Hazards, right? Like where the Duke boys were always driving by and they always went by like the one police officer and kind of boss hog was always trying to get them. And yet the Duke boys always seemed to be speeding. <laughs> it, I, it's just what I always just kind of envisioned it. I had no idea this was still going on. <laughs> oh yeah, it's still going on. Yeah, and it doesn't seem to prevent commerce, but yeah, they just, they, they collect all the fees there. It's not that different from a hotel tax, you know, like a hotel tax where you stay in New York and you realize that your hotel tax is the same as your, your bill for the hotel. Yeah, exactly. It, it seemed like a way to raise revenue. I guess what I wondered is, is, and this wasn't really explored in the article, does this say more about poor funding for police and poor funding for local government infrastructure more than it's an issue about kind of one mayor having too much power. Yes, I wanted to read, I mean, this was a long article. It was a very long article, but I want to read more about the case that went to the Supreme Court. Who was this lawyer who got caught speeding in this tiny town and was like, I'm taking this to the hilt. I'm going to appeal and appeal and appeal and appeal and go to the end of the earth to make sure that we hold this person accountable. Right. Well, good for them, though. Good for them to do it. I mean, uh, somebody's got to stand up and, and try to take this thing. And, and yet what's amazing is like, I think it was like a 1972 Supreme Court case, and it kind of ban mayor courts, but not everywhere, as we still have them like all over Louisiana and in some parts of Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I looked up this town, Fenton. I, I, I typed in, like, do people like living in Fenton? Because, like, the first thing I thought about, and this is sad, is that it reminded me of the movie Roadhouse. Oh, God. Uh, you know, the, the Patrick Swayze. Your favorite movie. Yeah, your favorite movie. <laughs> I work as a bar bouncer because... Roadhouse takes place in a town that seems to have one road, an auto dealership, a hardware store, and a bar. And basically, there's this one guy that seems to rule the town, and everybody seems miserable. And yet, like, Patrick Swayze basically is able to, like, make everybody happy at the end. And therefore, I kind of wondered, like, is that what's going on at Fenton? Is everybody just miserable living under the yoke of this horrible mayor and so the best I could do is there's a website called citystatistics.com and like the livability rating of Fenton, Louisiana was 87 out of 100. It got eight pluses in livability, cost, education, and crime. Now, I don't know how good a source this is, but it seems like the 200 plus people that live there seem happy. 
I bet they are. They don't have to pay taxes and they get solid public services there. Um, it's also a it's a road that runs diagonal and straight through an area of Louisiana in the south that is has not a lot of alternatives. It's got to be a well-traveled road that is just dinging outsiders left and right. So they you can't get around it, really, unless you go far or take a big detour. Now, the mayor was pretty cagey and didn't really give a solid interview to ProPublica for the article to kind of defend himself. Yet they keep pointing to like, look like this is a fair process. And yet I wanted to take you through what I thought was a fascinating other paragraph. And it says, Fenton Village attorney Mike Holmes in an email to ProPublica said the mayor presides over court in a neutral, impartial manner, consistent with Louisiana law. But the village court record suggests something else about how it handles some tickets. Case summaries, including curious notes from village employees and police officers. Some say not to fix tickets or reduce charges for drivers who had a, quote, bad attitude. Others suggest that the police chief and others have had a hand in dismissing charges, although Holmes said tickets are dismissed only at his discretion. Don, I love the idea that people are writing bad attitude on the official uh, docket. And that, to me, does seem to reek of cronyism. Absolutely. And although Fenton is rated fairly highly, I just looked at Google Maps and it's got a 1.5 stars for their and their 30 reviews. Almost all of them are negative, including a reveal by Zach Abel, who said, <laughs> avoid this town at all costs. Do you know who this Zach Abel is? Are you serious right now, or are you making that up? No, I am serious. Zachary Abel, <laughs> A-B-E-L, not E-E-L, says, if you have a driver's license or a pulse and or a social security number, avoid this town at all costs. This town will ticket you for not having any violations. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's 30 <laughs> reviews, and they're all negative. I hope somebody's going to leave a comment for this podcast and write, bad attitude, Don McLaughlin. <laughs> That's great. That's great that my my twin is out there fighting the law down there. I was certain it was you. It was a week ago this was written. I was like, oh my God, this is <laughs> you gotta find out if this is your wife like going on there and just a thinly veiled pseudonym of you down there just ripping this town. God, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get the mayor on the podcast and just kind of break down like how he goes about this? It, it, it's a it's just 30 reviews of just people got caught by the speeding trap there's pictures there's pictures of the speeding trap just speed trap speed trap slow down crooked speed trap scam like it's all the reviews are <laughs> worst town in louisiana but at the same time if you and i live there and we knew the mayor and he's writing positive attitude on our tickets Aren't we just like, yeah, like we're just making money. Like we're, we're, we're funding our police, we're funding local infrastructure. You and I know to drive 40 miles an hour in this section. Aren't you like cheering on your mayor for basically, again, like sticking it to somebody else to help fund my community? Yes. Well, at the same time, I mean, I'm sure this happens in your neighborhood. You live on a cul-de-sac, so you're an ultimate suburbanite. But I- uh, A quiet cul-de-sac. Yeah, I see a- there are cars flying through this uh, four-way stop right by my house where there's two bus stops and four uh, children on each of the four corners. And I'm shaking my fists, angry old man, like, this is dangerous. You just don't understand the situation. And I think there's a difference between that where you're like, look, you don't understand. There's kids waiting here. They're dumb. They don't wear anything reflective. And they're waiting for the bus in the dark. 
And there's that's an information problem as opposed to we're just getting revenue problem. <laughs> that's true. When you form it with kids waiting for a bus in the dark, that all of a sudden becomes a serious issue and people deserve that ticket, then let's just knock down the uh, speed limit by 10 miles an hour. And it's probably over a hill and it's probably not well posted and all of that. I, I just, I, I still think it's just an interesting thing that like we live in a democracy where we have amendment rights that give people due process, jury of their peers. And yet we still have places that are, like running as if this is 13th century England. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, if it was England back in the day, they'd have so many f- tolls that people stop using the ferries. And I don't think that's the problem yet, where people are going to stop driving just because of this one town. You just need to have, somebody needs to buy a billboard and say like, it's a GoFundMe for this billboard, which says, stop right now, you're going to get a ticket. Now, that would be interesting if somebody put up a billboard like that, or would the town not allow it? Yeah, that would be an interesting one. Now, the idea of like one mayor having this much power, do you have a problem with it? Because on one hand, I could say like, yeah, this seems pretty subjective. But on another hand, like, I don't know. I, I, a part of me is like, like, if the local community is voting in their mayor, they clearly like this must be the hot button issue. How are you handling the, the, the speed trap, right? Like, are you going to be lenient or are you going to be writing bad attitude on everybody's tickets? Wouldn't that be like the election issue every year when it's the mayor time? Well, yeah. And you're going to guarantee funding for the mayor's salary as well. Right. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I could see somebody running on a campaign of saying, like, you know what, guys, I'm taking it down to 39. <laughs> As the speed limit this year, we need to fund, uh, you know, more free and reduced lunches at school or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can buy a lot of lunches with those tickets. Now, Plato, back when he wrote The Republic, was not a believer in democracy. He thought people would make bad choices. He wanted a government run by philosopher kings, people who could see all the sides of the issues and, and understand who had virtue and who didn't. Do you think the problem with the mayor court is that it's not run by philosopher kings? And do you think like, I don't know, four or five elders who understood the locals and understood the situation, could they do any better than just one mayor? I don't know if you're getting a philosopher kings to a 200 person town in rural Louisiana. (laughs) I, I guess like just, you know, I mean, there'd be something to be said for having a local board of people that could take into account a lot of extraneous factors to then decide whether or not the the ticket applies or something like that. I think if anything, the part that kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth is just sort of thinking of one mayor and kind of like one police officer just sort of dispensing justice at their will. Yeah, it seems like it's several police officers, but yes, they are dispensing justice at their will and holding people accountable for a, you know, arbitrary drop in the speed limit but you know i guess the laws are the laws i kind of respect enforcing laws and rules yeah i mean when 90 plus percent of your local budget is made up from these tickets they clearly are very good at writing the tickets and it also just sort of presents a just sort of an interesting conundrum i guess to consider as whether or not it's right or not and yet i feel like if i lived there i'd say let the courts continue 
I mean, think about the deadweight loss of all the people who drive to this rural town to go to court and uh, meet with the justice. Like, ugh, this is a lot of lost efficiency of people having to drive down there. That's not a, that'd be the frustrating part. Like, oh, am I really going to drive two hours out of my way to fight this ticket on a Tuesday afternoon? Ugh. Most people probably just pay it, right? Oh, I'm sure they all pay it. Like, that's the thing about the court is I got to figure that's like 5% or less of the cases. Who's really fighting this ticket? Right. Uh, unless you well, because they do have a camera. There were there were multiple times where people like had to watch the camera again, and it kind of proves their guilt. As this this town seems very well set up to prove that no, you broke the law technically. Absolutely, they're 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 locked in. They got to figure it out. Well, the, these are all three just sort of interesting legal questions. Which one do you think America should be talking the most about? Mayor courts social media comments being turned off or leaf blower noise ordinances i think social media is probably in the first amendment issue is probably the most important one um locally people care about the uh, leaf blowers and there's 30 people on google maps that are really angry about the Louisiana town <laughs> including somebody that sounds a lot like me <laughs> including somebody that did post it a week ago I think I would agree with you. I would take the social media one first. I think I put mayor courts as something that really does need to be thought a lot about. And uh, again, I support the people of Greenwich and their issue, but can we not have to make that a public thing? And really, can we knock down your legislative body by 200 people? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's more than the town in Louisiana that has a mayor court. You know what they need there in Greenwich? They need a mayor court. They do. Pick one. Pick one hedge fund guy or make it a rotating basis, right? Like, hey, this week you're in charge. I don't know. It, it's it's crazy that that has 230 people. That's, I think, my biggest issue. Absolutely. Don, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week. I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care.